This morning, we're going to go to the book of Matthew and just kind of look at a little bit of the Christmas story there that's found in the book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. It says wise men. Now, just want to go ahead and get this out of the way. If it had been wise women, they would have asked for directions sooner. They would have arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and they would have brought disposable diapers as gifts. But for whatever reason, God chose these wise men. And here's the amazing thing is that the Scripture These were not self-proclaimed wise men, but the Scripture calls them wise men. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how many there are or there were. We kind of have these traditions and uh, that, you know, there were three. And that probably came from the fact that there are three gifts that they brought, three different types of gifts. But we don't really know how many wise men. There could have been more. The Scripture doesn't tell us exactly where these men are from. It just some country in the east, but another country, suffice it to say. We really don't know that much about them other than that they were wise. Verse 2, they came and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They said, he who is born king of the Jews. It's interesting to note that when he died, at the top of his cross was written, king of the Jews. But somehow or another, we don't know exactly how God had communicated to these men, how he had given them this vision, this call, this drawing. But somehow or another, they knew that this was more than just any ordinary king. They didn't make this months-long journey to come and worship a baby who would one day be the king of a small, tiny nation that was under the rule of the Roman Empire. In fact, there's no indication that they were impressed with Herod, the current king, at all. And yet they made this journey to come and to worship this king. They declared their intent very clearly that they had come. They said, we have come to worship him. Well, I just got to go ahead and ask, why did you come this morning? Did you come to worship him? I realized this morning I didn't come to preach. I came to worship. Well, I might do a little preaching too, if you don't mind, but I just, I just want you to know this is for this old preacher boy too, that when I come to this place, I come to worship. Amen. Verse 3 says that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You know, it's strange to me that Herod was troubled. He should have been excited about what was happening, but... I guess we can kind of understand it in that old sinful human condition, but he felt threatened in some way. But really strange to me is that the people were afraid. The people were troubled. Why weren't they excited about this king who would come, this Messiah who would come? 
I guess they were just afraid of the change. You know, better the devil you know. And that certainly was true in this case, the devil you know, because if you know the story, you know that not long after this, Herod had every baby boy put to death. What a horrible, wicked king. But yet somehow the people were afraid, I guess, of the change that this new king could bring. And did he ever change things? He changed everything. He is the pivotal point of human history. It's amazing. I mean, even the world that we live in acknowledges there's B.C. and there's A.D. We're in the 2022nd year of our Lord. Jesus came to change everything. But they didn't realize that this was their Savior who had come to rescue them. And you know what? It's still true today. It's still the same today that a lot of people are afraid of this king. A lot of people are troubled by this king. A lot of people don't want this king because they're afraid that he'll interrupt their lives. They're afraid that somehow that he's going to make them uncomfortable. They don't want somebody else to tell them what to do. Reminds me at the end of the book of Judges, the Bible says that there was no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That is just one of the themes of the day in America. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. I want to tell you, we have a king. And we need to do what's right in his eyes, always. But you see a lot of people, they just like those people in the, in the story here, they don't understand that he's come to rescue them, that he's come to save them, that he's come to help them. Many today still afraid of this king. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now this is interesting to me that he actually asked them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. He acknowledged who this was. He realized who this was, the Christ, the Messiah. This wasn't just another king. Even Herod knows it. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Herod wants to know where this Messiah would be born. Not an ordinary king, but the Messiah. He knew that this was the one that the scripture had foretold about. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were so excited. They were celebrating. Why? Because they knew that they were about to be in the presence of the king. You know what? 
We ought to get excited every Sunday that we know we're going to go and get in the presence of the Lord. We're going to join together with God's people, gather in His name, and He will show up in our midst. That our God is real, He is alive, and He is still our King. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they rejoice with exceeding great joy. We ought to always come rejoicing. Verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother. Every manger scene, including the one sitting on our mantle, has the wise men there with the shepherds. Uh, It's amazing how in our little traditions, somehow or another, we try to merge the book of Matthew and the, the book of Luke, the story, the Christmas story told in each book. But you just need to realize that in the book of Luke, it's telling us that this baby was born in a manger. Amen? Amen. And you got the manger there, right? And there's the shepherds. The book of Matthew is not talking about a manger. It says that they came to the house. And they didn't talk about a small infant, but it's talking about a small child. You just need to understand this is two different times when this happened, and we just kind of stick them all together. Now, some of you, you've already decided this preacher's crazy because you'd rather hold to your tradition, but here's the truth. No, those shepherds were the only one there, the only, the only people besides angels that were there at the birth of Christ. But now these wise men, and maybe they would have been on time if they would have asked for directions. I don't know, but here, here's the thing. These wise men showed up later, They've come now to this house, but they have come for the sole purpose of worshiping Him. And they fell down and worshiped Him. They fell down and worshiped Him. Their journey had finally come to its climax, that here we have come to worship Him. They fell down. They worshiped Him. And they opened their treasures. They presented gifts to Him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I have heard lots of speculation. I mean, I've done it myself at times about what these, these gifts could mean. But the only thing we really know for sure about these three gifts is that these were expensive gifts that they brought They brought these gifts as part of their worship. In verse 12, it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Wise men. I think there's a lot that we can learn from these wise men in this story. I just want to remind you again that the Bible calls these men wise men. Some think that they're wise because of their education or they have a high IQ or some, you know, they they pride themselves, literally pride themselves on being street smart and some think that they're wise because they've managed to be successful in business or some other avenue of life. But I got to tell you, the truth is, is that if they don't know this king, they don't really know anything yet. And I want to give you this from 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, 19 through 25, it says, It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is what the Lord says. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, through wisdom, the world did not know God. And let me just say this. You see, in all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge of man, you see, you, you come up with all kinds of religion, but they can't really know God apart from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way that we can truly be reconciled to God and have a real relationship with God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You see, some people think it's just too simple. Some people think it's just foolish. But God chose this way to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after, a sim, uh, uh, seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I tell you, these were truly wise men. So what do we learn from these wise men? The first truth is we need to see here is that they came. They came. It wasn't convenient. They traveled from a far country. I'm sure that they went through all kinds of struggles and problems and hassles. You ever gone on a long trip? Now listen, they weren't traveling on a plane or a car or on a train. They were traveling on foot with their camels carrying their stuff, and this was a long, arduous journey. I'll be there if the creek don't rise, brother. I want you to know something. The creek's always going to rise sometime, somewhere. It must have risen on these guys, but they still came. Well, you know, if, if the weather's good, if it don't rain, I'm sure it rained on them. I wonder if somebody got sick along the way. Do you realize that making a journey like this during those days, carrying expensive gifts, it would have been dangerous. They could have been robbed. They could have been killed. All kinds of things could have happened, but they came. They came to worship. It's so strange to me how that for many Christians today, worship takes a back seat to everything else in their life, even their leisure. Most anything can seem to stop them from going to worship. Not just bad weather, good weather. The preachers today, we got to pray that we have just kind of mediocre weather. Because if it's bad, people won't come. And if it's too good, people want to go out and do something different. So we're praying for mediocre weather. I'm kind of joking. But it's amazing how people can find a reason not to go to worship. These men came. They're wise men. They came to worship. No big deal. It's just another service. And here's the thing. When we have the attitude that it's just another service, that's exactly what we get. Just another service. But in the same service, 
one person experiences God. And another says, it was just another service. You know what? We should all worship God every day in our personal lives. But we also need to realize there are special times of worship when we come together in His name. I think that there was some kind of a call, some kind of a drawing on these men to make this journey. But I think for the New Testament Christian, there is always a call and a drawing that is there that we would come and worship the Lord. In 1 Peter 2.9, we read this last week, but he says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to tell you, we have been called as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be his people in this earth, to be his worshipers in this earth. The second truth we need to see here is that they came seeking. They said, where is he? They were looking for this baby king. They came seeking. And I want you to know that everybody is a seeker of sorts. But the problem is, is that so many are people seekers. They're seeking some celebrity. Oh, yeah. Listen, if we were going to schedule and have Dak Prescott next Sunday morning, I don't know how he'd make the game, but anyway, if we were going to have Dak Prescott next Sunday morning, did you know there's no way that we could hold the, the crowd here? In fact, you'd have to get here at like 4 in the morning to get a seat. There wouldn't even be any parking anywhere. You know why? People seekers, not God seekers, people seekers. Why? Because he can throw a ball and he's a nice guy. Celebrity. Listen, not just sports stars or you know, some other kind of preacher stars. You have some big name preacher in here. I don't know what your favorite is, but you have some big name speaker in here that preaches to thousands on TV or the internet, and all oh, we could pack this place out, just be overflowing. But I want to tell you something they all came to see a man. They came seeking a man. And I, don't misunderstand me. It's wonderful when you hear a message or there's a speaker that speaks to your heart and gets through to you. I'm not knocking that. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to keep this right, that we are seeking him first and foremost. And if, if we're seeking him, it doesn't really matter who's speaking that day. taking a load off right now. I'll tell you why. Because whether you know it or not, I ain't the thing here. A bunch of you already knew that, didn't you? I'm not the thing here. And no, it's not just our great worship team and our great children's ministry and youth ministry. It's Him. He's the thing. That's why we come here. That's who we're seeking here. We come here seeking Him. Not anything, not anybody else. You know, today, people talk about you know, churches being seeker-friendly. But so often, what that ends up being is churches trying to draw people with worldly method, methods. This guy, this TV star, he's traveling around now, speaking in churches. 
And for $100,000, I'm not going to name his name this morning. This is true story. For $100,000, he'll come and speak at your church, and people will flock to hear him because he was on TV. No. No. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that we are seeking. A lot of casual seekers today. They seldom find him. Jeremiah 29, 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's some that are seeking a sign. They're looking for some proof of God. There's some that are seeking a blessing instead of the blesser. There's some that are seeking some kind of a spiritual experience. But these wise men came seeking for this baby king. I want you to know they knew who he was. They said, where is he born king of the Jews? But as I said earlier, they didn't even seek an audience with the current king. They didn't care about earthly kings. They didn't make this journey to worship a man. No, they came looking for this one spoken of in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, there's so many that profess to be wise in our world, but don't really even know God. Because I want to tell you, no matter what we might know, what else we might know, if we don't know Him, we don't know the most important thing. Wise men, they came seeking Him. They came to worship Him. They said plainly, we have come to worship Him. That needs to always be our primary motivation when we come into his presence is that we've come to worship him. Herod said, when you find him, he said, you come back and tell me. He said that I may come and worship him also. He didn't want to worship him. But you know, there are a lot of pretenders today, people that say that they're going to worship but they just use the term as a word for just another service. They're not really interested in worshiping the Lord. Some come to intellectualize. Some come to scrutinize. Some come to dispute. Some just come to see, to spectate, to speculate. But wise men come to worship. You know, people come for all kinds of reasons. But if we come for any selfish reasons at all, we miss out on the greatest blessing of all. Because when we focus on Him and worship, oh, that's where we find the richest blessings. Things oh, in, his ple- in His presence are those pleasures evermore. But wise men come to worship, not for show, not for recognition. You know, some come to meet with friends. Some come when they feel they need something. But the thing about worship is, it's not really for us. It's for Him. 
think about these wise men who came and worshipped him and they brought their gifts. In the natural, what could this baby king do for them? Nothing. They just came to worship him because of who he was. That was their motivation. And it needs to be our motivation. You know, all of us need to be taught and ministered to. All of us need encouragement from the scriptures. But in the time that we live in, you can listen to or watch preaching and teaching 24 hours a day, all day long. But there's something special about the time of worship when the people of God gather. It's different. How precious it is. We need to remember that that's why we come. Jesus is the one that can truly change our lives, that can help us in those areas of our life where we're struggling. We just need to keep our eyes on Him and give Him His rightful place in our life. They came and worshipped Him face to the ground with these expensive gifts. By the way, to Herod, they didn't offer anything. Fools would have had it just the other way around. They would have given honor, they would have given gifts to the dignitary, expecting that somehow to earn and garner his favor was going to come out to their benefit. They had nothing for Herod. Jesus in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well, he tells this woman in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. We know what we worship. I just want to tell you that the more that you know him, the more you want to worship him. When people don't really worship, it's because they don't really know him. And the more that we worship Him, here's the amazing thing, is that so often then God reveals more of Himself to us. We understand, we see Him, we get a fresh revelation of Him that we didn't have before. And it causes us to worship Him even more. But you see, when people don't really know much about God, they don't have much desire to worship this God. Oh, if they just knew if they just knew how wonderful, how awesome, how amazing, how majestic, how merciful, how mighty is our God. There's so much about Him. He is so worthy and deserving of our hearts, of our lives, of our worship. The next verse in John 4, verse 23 says, But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. I want you to see that He's talking about it's not a place, it's not just here or there, it's not a form of religion, but it's that we worship in spirit and in truth. And He says this, the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father is looking for 
People who worship him in spirit and in truth. Think about this. We're supposed to be seeking him, but he is seeking for people who worship in spirit and the truth. I want to tell you something. God will find you. If, if he's seeking those that worship in spirit and in truth, and you're one of those, he will find you. His spirit, his presence will show up in our midst. I want to be found. I want my father to see that I worship in spirit and in truth, not some form of religion, that I am worshiping him from my heart with all that I am. You know, going to church doesn't make you a worshiper. Any, you know, that's what they say. They say, how many worshipers did you have? Uh, well, listen, I'll leave that to God because going to church doesn't make you a worshiper anymore than sleeping in the garage makes you a car, right? He looks for those that worship in spirit and in truth, not just those that go through the motion. You know, Jesus talked about in his day that there were those that praised him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. We need to treat worship not just as, you know, something that we endure to get to the word, to get to the preaching. You know, they used to call it the song service. Sing a couple of songs and then we're going to get to the preaching. But in reality, it needs to be where, you know what, we want to worship God and then let God speak to us through his word. But we want to worship God. It's such a powerful thing that our Father is looking, seeking those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when we do that, I tell you, He finds us, He pours His presence out on us, and we are refreshed. Wise men, they came prepared to worship. This is really important. Wise men come prepared to worship. It wasn't just an afterthought, you know, like, yeah, I guess. No, they had planned this. Obviously, this was something that they had planned out. It, it was a journey they had been on. It was a big deal. They weren't just going to show up. They were prepared to worship. And I want to tell you, there's a difference when the people of God show up prepared to worship. Amen. You know, if, if you listen to... Uh, Worship leaders that that teach about leading worship, here's one of the things that they'll tell you. You know, you got to drag those people in. It takes a couple of songs just to get most people even started into worship. It ought not to be that way. It ought to be that we are ready. We are prepared to worship. You know, one of the ways these guys were obviously prepared to worship is, is they brought expensive gifts. And I I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but I am going to say it, that giving in the Scripture is an important part of our worship. You know, I heard this years and years ago, and it just, it makes so much sense to me. If, If somebody gave you a lot of money, well, maybe this doesn't apply, but it sure applies. When you work hard for your money, you spend hours and effort and struggle, and maybe sometimes some pain to get that money, and you, you give that money to the Lord, it's like you're giving a little piece of your life. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. I mean, when that money's hard-earned money, it means something to you, and it means something to God, too. 
But it is a part of our worship. It's something that we should be prepared. And I, you know, I, I think it's important. I think the Lord wanted me to say that today because especially the time where we're living where we no longer typically or normally take that offering during the service, you still need to make that a part of your worship between you and God. But there's something more important than that, and that is your heart. God doesn't want your money. He wants your whole heart. In fact, what Jesus said about the stuff is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But you need to understand this. We need to come with, prepared to give God our life, prepared to offer up our allegiance, our obedience to Him, and whatever He wants. Our worship. You're my king. I want to serve you. You know, that's what it meant when these men bowed down to him. That's true worship. The last verse of the story this morning tells us, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Divinely warned in a dream. These wise men were willing to change their course. God warned them in a dream. And sometimes when we are going the wrong way, God will give us a dream or He'll speak to us through some preacher on a Sunday morning or a brother or sister in the Lord will come and say something to us that was God using them to speak to us. Or as you're reading your Bible, the Holy Spirit will just cause a scripture to come to life to you, to show you where you need to make a change in your life. These wise men were willing to change their course. Sometimes we got to be willing to change our course and not just be prideful or bullheaded and continue on in the same old path of life. There's an old story. I just especially like how it makes the point so well. The captain of a ship looked out into the dark night and in, in the distance he saw a faint light and he assumed that it was another boat and so he has his signalman send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. To his shock they get a message back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain of the ship said send another message. Tell them to alter their course now. This is a U.S. battleship. The message came back. I'm a seaman first class in a lighthouse. Alter your course now. I want to tell you, God's way is right. And we can be bullheaded like the foolish old song says, say, I did it my way but it'll end in disaster. I want to tell you something. God can save your marriage, but you've got to be willing to alter your course. God can give you peace, but you've got to be willing to alter your course. God can bring healing. He can bring freedom in your life, but you've got to be willing to alter your course. This morning... Learn from the wise men. There's nothing more important than God. Nothing more important 
than having him in your life. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. If God is dealing with your heart, if there are some things in your heart you know that need to change, don't walk out of here the same, but let God have his way. We're going to pray. I'd like for our prayer partners to come.